0: From the seedy studios of Rodale Institute Radio with PBS 39 WLVT at the PPNL Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another Tomato Save an Hour of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks You Bet Your Garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Are you planning to save the seeds of the most titanic tomatoes you grow this summer? On today's show, we'll explain exactly what you need to know to keep Radiator Charlie in your entourage. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right, potential guests are busy determining their pollination. So we will take that heap and help. And if you're telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and tremendously tremulous tintinabulations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here because it's all coming up faster than you mastering the art of seed saving right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners. School bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to an encore edition of You Bet Your Garden from Rodale Institute Radio at the studios of WLVT in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'm taking the holiday weekend off to tend to my Titanic tomatoes. So we found the perfect show to rerun for you again. It's all about saving the seed of your favorite tomatoes from this season to grow again next year. We're also got lots of your fabulous phone calls, so let's get right into it at 833-727-9588. Helen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you.
1: Hi, Mike. Um...
0: Wait, I'm Helen, in, where are you? You gotta tell me.
1: Oh, oh I'm in Doylestown, okay. South Pennsylvania.
0: Very good. Just outside of Philadelphia. Yes. Yeah. All right. What can oh. we do for Helen in Doylestown?
1: Okay. Um I live in a wooded area with mature trees. Okay. Um last fall we had a natural gas line put in.
0: Oh, I thought um, you were gonna and say it exploded.
1: Comes from street, which is about 200 feet away right and okay the soil they you know had to dig a hole to put the um pipe in Mm -hmm. and the soil is clay with rocks okay and in the lower part of it it's mucky wet clay okay but in any case we've not done anything with it but i don't want to look at mucky wet a bunch of just clay can i just and right now it's just sort of covered with about i don't know three inches of leaves or something like that can i just should i just leave it like that and then if i want to plant something
0: okay no 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 no, no. yes yes but no okay so they put a gas line in so your your house is now yeah heated with gas
1: yes it's nice and cozy
0: oh I I, when I left my first apartment, it was under duress because I had to give up my gas stove and go (laughs) live with a woman who was absolutely wonderful. But she had an electric stove and I carped about it every day. I love cooking with gas Mm -hmm. Any, Anyway, so this line comes in from the street into your house. Um, You you say they dug up, of course, uh, a certain amount of soil. I'm sure they went underneath the frost line. Um, Yeah. What was there when they dug it up?
1: Actually, it was, they went in the spaces between the trees.
0: Right, so there was no real growth there to begin with? Right. Okay. I,
1: I have very tall trees, and I don't, there's not a lot of undergrowth, and they just found a space that was, more or less between the trees.
0: God bless them. That sounds like a great job. So here's the deal. It's not just the shade from the trees. You have to realize the root system of these monsters is competing for water, for nutrients. It's trying to take the lunch away from any other plant you put out there. But you say, you say there's leaves that have fallen down on the ground. Oh, yeah. So what I would do is um, in a situation like yours, which is a totally natural situation, it's not on a lawn or anything like that, you can just leave those leaves alone. Okay. If you feel compelled to do something in this general area, I would say go for what are called the minor bulbs of spring. Now, you know spring bulbs like daffodils and crocus and tulips. Well, there's a whole class of, um, now they're called special bulbs, but they used to be called minor bulbs. And these Mm -hmm. are things like snowdrops and glory of snow. Very tiny, very ephemeral, but these things can bloom in december some years in january some years and they are a perfect component to a woodland garden like yours and they're very shallow rooted and they will reproduce by themselves so you can create kind of little rivers of these things around the trees but stay away from the gas line as much as you can you don't want to be digging there
1: no no but i mean it's i think it's fairly deep i mean they were digging, like, a, I don't know, it's at least three feet
0: deep. Good, good, good. But still, you know, try not to uh, not to go nuts there. But um, over the course of the spring and summer, go online or talk to your local garden center. You literally want to buy a 1,000 of these bulbs. You want to buy these. These things are no bigger than a quarter. So... You want to buy like a thousand glory of snow, a thousand snowdrops. Maybe there's a couple of others, uh, the minor bulbs, the early bulbs that you'll fall in love with, and a plant them densely in like areas between the trees. And they'll come up in the spring, they'll flower. But then by the time the trees are throwing shade, they'll be gone. So okay. if you do this, though, In the future, you'll have to get a leaf blower and blow the leaves off this area so they don't smother the bulbs or get a leaf blower set on reverse and shred the leaves. But the perfect thing for a woodland garden like this is the tiny earliest bulbs of spring. And you plant them, by the way, in your region. You plant them right after Thanksgiving.
1: Oh, okay. That late?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, because you don't want them to sprout prematurely.
1: Okay, so and you... um... You need to have the leaves out of the area where you're planting.
0: Uh, after you plant the bulbs and the leaves are still coming down, yeah, you got to rake those away or blow them away. Otherwise, they'll prevent the bulbs from coming up in the spring. Okay. Cool. All right.
1: All right. Well, thank you.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Good luck, Helen. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. Bye bye. 833 PBSWLVT, which translates to 833. 833- seven two seven ninety five eighty eight billy welcome to you bet your garden and thank you very much hey thank you bill how are you doing man well i do well and where does bill do well
2: i'm in marshall texas and we're almost in louisiana on uh, on i-20 just before you get to shreveport
0: oh okay so you're in the the you're in the unusually humid portion of texas
2: and are extremely humid at the moment
0: yeah yeah because people think all of texas is dry but texas covers something like three or four usda growing zones you have and we are in i'm in uh in zone 8a okay so oh man so when it's humid it is humid it stays most of the time (laughs) oh well what can i tell you i'm i hope you got a big porch for the dogs to sleep under right
2: well, I do. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, sure, you got to. Uh, uh, otherwise, uh, humane society comes around. What can we do for you, man?
2: I have a question about asparagus.
0: Oh, okay. Go I've ahead. been
2: growing aspar. I've been growing asparagus uh for oh, 10 years or so and it's in a raised bed
3: mm-hmm.
2: and and doing quite well. Uh, and uh, my question is do you prune it and if so, when? Cause it's growing very very tall.
0: Well you are an exception uh, my friend. You realize that most people would tell you it's difficult or impossible to grow good asparagus in your growing zone.
2: Well I seem to be doing the other part of it then. It's, it's growing very very well and has for many many years.
0: And um, there were there have been a number of studies to help people in warm climates, you know, because asparagus typically needs a very cold winter to rest and, Mm -hmm. you know, restore its vigor. Uh, But the University of uh, Southern California has been doing work with improved varieties for hot weather climates that don't need as long a dormancy. Uh, what kind of asparagus are you growing? Uh, did you get anything special for warm weather or, or you just have a a very green thumb?
2: I, I don't know that, but it's Mary Washington.
0: Oh, okay, so that's one of the old, original heirloom varieties. Okay, yeah. you, you know, maybe that would be stronger in your climate. So the basic answer for all asparagus growers is, as you know, the the spears come up in the spring. Now, I, I feel like I'm carrying coals to Newcastle to give you advice. I think you should be sitting in the chair right now. <laughs> um, <love> to. <laughs> but in the <laughs> in the in, in the warmer climates you want to pick your asparagus as early as possible. Because one thing you've probably noticed is it has a tendency to open up. The tips open up and fern out uh, very quickly in the spring if you don't pick it while well. yes, it's they still do. small. They really do. And I'm presuming you snap it off rather than harvest with a knife? Correct. Yeah, because uh, harvesting with a knife, uh, you get too much of that stalk at the bottom that nobody eats anyway. And it can interfere with the health of the crowns underneath. So, yeah, harvest them small, harvest them young. um, But when the new shoots, um, the new spears come up smaller than a pencil, that's when you're supposed to um, let it go. And those last runs will produce the ferns. And then the ferns, of course, collect the solar energy that, Kind of rejuvenates the um, the crowns, the roots underneath, and this is also right. the time when you feed it, right?
2: I feed it. Uh, my, I make my own mulch out of shredded leaves. So
0: okay, I'm excellent. Putting that on there, and so that's a gentle feeding, and I bet it helps with the weeds too. Weeds are the biggest enemy of asparagus.
2: Oh, well, I always get a few, but yes, it does help. Yes.
0: So in warm climates, uh, the rule is to leave those fern-like stalks standing as long as possible. Because if you if you cut them down, you kind of mulch the soil, and that keeps the soil at a warmer temperature. You want your soil to get as cool as possible uh, because you still do have a dormant season. It does rest over winter, even though you're... Your picking season is much longer than other people. Ideally, you want to cut those stalks down, but let them lay on the surface of the soil about three weeks to a month before you would expect the first spears to come up. So remember, Uh. when you're looking at those big ferns, you're feeding the roots. That's solar energy going down to the roots and uh, keeping your, your crowns and your root system big and strong.
2: Right now, right now they're five foot and six foot high,
0: yeah, but just think that's like that's like having 20 solar panels as opposed <laughs> to two that's that's just getting all that good sunlight down to down to the root well, system sounds like you may have a a, a very long lived patch to be I do yes, yeah, so just just wait until the end of what we call winter <laughs> to cut those puppies down, oh okay. All right.
2: right. Now, what about the seed?
0: Well, you know, the seed, you know, there's all different uh, theories about that. You know, it would not harm the solar collection at all to cut off the seed heads. Um, It's really just the leaves of the ferns that are collecting solar energy. Now, you don't want to be tramping around in there too much. You know, you want to stay off your bed as much as possible. But yeah, taking taking off the seed heads while they're forming is also going to direct more energy down to the root system because you, you don't want or need the seeds.
2: Uh, well, I, I grow new plants with the seed.
0: Oh, okay. Well, then you, you probably have the timing down where you can harvest it get it off the plant, and um, and then use it to propagate.
2: Which is very difficult, I might say. And, and the, the little red seed, I've, I've read or I've heard that you need to soak them in water many, many days and then scarify and remove the inner seed, inner inner growing layer, and then you use that to plant. Right. But I have some coming up anyway without, without my doing anything.
0: Yeah, well, you know, nature will nature will out. Uh, one other option, if you know anybody who has chickens, is uh, feed the chickens the seeds, then collect the chicken poop, and then all the work of getting the cover off and uh, stimulating the germination has been yeah. done for you.
2: Well, I do know some chicken people.
0: Try that. Try to try, you know, take over a bunch of seed, collect the... Um, collect the remains afterwards, and I bet you those will germinate right away.
2: that is a very good idea.
0: Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Bill. Good luck, man.
2: Hey, thank you very much, and good luck with you.
0: Okay, my pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, things are finally heating up outside, and gardening is great. The flowers are blooming, the veggies are ripening, and all sorts of problems are coming up aren't they that's why you need to call 833 727 9588 and ask me your host mike mcgrath what to do on the next you bet your garden little
1: bugs little 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 a box bugs, a box little a box bugs. a little bugs a box bugs, a box little bugs, little bugs a box in a box
0: Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear in Philadelphia on Tuesday, July 16th to host an evening of horticultural quizzo at the PHS Pop-Up Garden on South Street. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to perennialize your tomatoes and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. (laughs) Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden, from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and we are repeating a very special show that we did earlier this year that teaches you how to save your own seeds from the tomatoes you're growing this year and replant them in your garden next year. That way you not only get the exact same tomato that you fell in love with this season, but if you do this over the years, you'll get a tomato that's adapted to your UNIQ conditions. We'll also do some of your UNIQ phone calls, and we're going right back to them now. At 1-833-727-9588. Sharon, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks. Oh, thank you, Sharon. How are you?
4: I'm doing very well. How are you?
0: I am just ducky, thank you for asking. Where is Sharon doing well? I am doing well in Brooklyn, New York. All right, forget about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Brooklyn's <laughs> such a great place. All right, what can we do for Sharon in Brooklyn?
4: Well, my daughter and I are huge fans of the show, and she uh, would like to start some seeds inside. We tried last year, Mm -hmm. and uh, the tomatoes were very leggy and not doing as well as we would have liked. So it's a two-part question, I guess. One is, do you have any recommendations for a particular kind of grow light? And then just sort of general advice you might have about starting seeds indoors.
0: I have really specific advice. Excellent. Okay, so first of all, I like to start, you know, some people use egg cartons or old yogurt cups and stuff like that. I like to use what the pros use, which is the six packs and the four packs that you Got get it. your plants from at the garden center. Anybody who's been gardening for years has a thousand of these in their basement or the garage. They'll be happy to give you all you need. Then you do not use any garden soil. You go out or online online you get a bag of, it may be called professional mix, it may be called potting soil, it may be called seed starting mix, and essentially it is a soil-free mix. There's no dirt in it, so to speak. It's peat moss, perlite, vermiculite, um, compost, composted, Forest products, which is bark that's turned into compost, and it's nice and light and loose, doesn't have any weed seeds, doesn't have any disease. The problem these days is finding stuff that's clean. Um, The big chemical companies, um, the ones who promise miracles in the garden, uh, they have all the shelf space in the big box stores. So if you go to a big box store, you're only going to find seed starting soil that has the miracle chemicals in it. But if you look around, there are very high quality. Um, I know Espoma is one of the underwriters of the show, but they probably have the best distribution and totally clean products. I actually use uh, their stuff to start my seeds. So you've got these little containers. You've got a bag of nice, clean seed starting mix. So you fill the containers with the mix, and then you put them in something like a baking pan, a shallow baking pan, because there's going to be water running off. Yep. And then uh, the best thing to do, it's hard to get them watered to begin with because the soil is so light. So you can either really take your time and add water slowly, or, you know, you can just keep filling up that pan. And then the water will drain up. It'll go in up through the drainage holes into the Seed-starting mix until it's totally saturated. And you'll be able to feel the difference. When these things are full of water, they're really heavy. So now you take the seeds that you're going to grow, and you put two seeds in each cell. Um, Not one, because sometimes you don't get complete germination, and not three, because then you're going to start wondering, you know, how many of these you have to kill, and you're going to feel bad about yourself. Oh, dear. So two, two seeds in each cell, then just regular saran wrap over the top and just keep it in the warmest room of your house. If you want to go full scale, you can get a heating mat, uh, but generally that's not the issue with starting seeds at home. You don't want the medium to dry out. One of the nice things about using saran wrap is you'll always see moisture on the inside of the plastic, so you'll know that it's constant moisture. As soon as the very first sprout comes up, not when they're all up, as soon as you see the first sprout emerging, then you take off the saran wrap. If you have been using a heating pad, you turn it off, and then you get the plants under bright light. And there doesn't have to be any confusion here. One of the best things to start with, and so easy and so inexpensive, is just a simple shop light. And this you can get from one of the big box stores if you want. We're talking, uh, you know, a fluorescent fixture with four-foot-long tubes. Um, Two tubes is good. If you want to get one of the ones with four tubes in it, that's amazing. That's like professional strength. But the secret of not getting leggy plants is you need to keep the lights really close to the seeds. Now, whether these, quote, fluorescent lights are fluorescent or the new LED ones, you want the tops of the plants almost touching the bottom of the tube, no more than an inch. An inch is almost too much because the lights are cool. They're not going to burn the plants. But one thing, when I was the editor of Organic Gardening and we grew a lot of our own plants in the office, um, we found out we stole light meters from the photography lab and this close, uh, just on top of each other, the amount of light the plants were getting was incredible. We went up three or four inches. It was almost like there was no light. So that's the secret. So you want to have the lights on chains so that you can move them upward. Or what I like to do is I start everything off on a stacks of books so I can just take out a book at a time and lower it down. Now, if that's all you do, you're going to be a killer because even the natural seed starting mixes tend to have a little bit of natural fertilizer in them, worm castings, bat guano, all that good stuff. But you can also get uh, a liquid organic fertilizer. Some of them will even say they're for seed starting. And instead of watering the young plants, you can give them a dilute solution of food. Once they have their first true leaves, the first leaves that appear on these plants will be, I can never remember how to pronounce it, but they're kind of roundish. And then you get the first true leaves. What, um, excuse me. When you get those first true leaves, you can start feeding them dilute organic fertilizer. But the important thing is to keep those lights right close to the plants. You will get the kind of short, stocky, super healthy plants they sell in the garden center. And really, when you look back on it, how much did you spend? You know, maybe 20 bucks for a shop light, you know, maybe 10 bucks for a bag of super premium seed starting mix. And that's enough to grow hundreds of dollars worth of plants.
4: Fantastic. And do the lights stay on all the time?
0: That's an excellent question. Uh, I have done it both ways, and I haven't seen a lot of difference. But most experts would tell you to give the plants eight hours of darkness a night. Okay. You know, just put it on a timer. That's the easiest way. Sure. And then tomatoes and other tropical crops do not go outside until the nights are reliably in the 50s. Okay. I don't care about the date on the calendar or frost dates or anything like that. Look at the 10-day forecast. You don't want to see any fours in there.
3: Got it.
0: All right? Yep. Great. All right. Well, good luck to you, Shark.
4: Thank you so much. Have a great day.
0: My pleasure. You too.
4: Thanks. Bye. 833-727-9588.
0: Jeremiah, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
5: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, thank you for being had, Jeremiah. Where are you, sir? I'm in Clarksville, Tennessee,
5: right next to Fort Campbell Military
0: Base. Okay, very good. Now, you sound familiar. Uh, Did we speak before? Yes, sir. Actually, it was
5: uh, October or November of uh, 2014. I would called to ask you if you were familiar with the Wild American Strawberry Bush, which was something I'd found hunting years ago, and I used to enjoy looking at it because it had those big, bright orange spiked balls on it with the red berries inside of it, and you researched it, and you had me on your program, and um, you were able to give me some more information about it.
0: Yeah, sure. you you really sent me down the rabbit hole, though. That was a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, what, what can we do for you today, Jeremiah?
5: Well, um, what it, uh, my uh, dog, Sid, uh, I lost her two months ago. She died, and I had her buried. And uh, she was the best friend I ever had. I had her for 11 years. And I had her nice headstone made and a little cedar decorative fence put around her grave. And I want to plant some tulips on her grave. And I've got the tulip bulbs, and my questions are, is it too late in the year to plant those bulbs for this climate in Tennessee? And if not, uh, what about the soil? What kind of soil do I need to add to her gravesite for the tulips to do well?
0: Well, first of all, we have to offer you condolences. Uh, I know I used to be a rescue home for Great Pyrenees, and mm. my, my big, gentle giants both lived to be 11, which is unusual for dogs that weigh 150 pounds. Oh. Um, but they, they grow on you, and it's, 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 yeah. it's a great loss. And this is a wonderful idea. Um, now, uh, are you, first of all, devoted totally to tulips, which attract, yeah. which attract a lot of attention. Deer love them. Squirrels love them. Oh, is that right? Rabbits okay. love them. Um, whereby daffodils, which are very bright and just light up the area in the springtime. To me, daffodils are more of a symbol of rebirth than tulips. Okay. And daffodils okay. are easy care. The bulbs are actually slightly toxic so evil uh-huh. squirrels don't try to steal them and uh-huh. deer don't eat the flowers. That you, okay. don't, you don't have to do anything to protect them. And okay. I, I think it makes a nicer tribute.
5: Okay, well that's a good idea, actually. Uh, uh, I've got her uh, buried on a friend of mine's farm behind their tobacco barn right underneath a black walnut tree, and there's a red oak next to it, and acorns and black walnuts are on the ground, and there are deer all over there all day long. They're actually picking the peaches off their peach trees too. So if they'd eat the tulips, I I I just I think I'll go ahead and go with your advice and use the daffodils. Now, when, when should I um, get the seed for them and
0: try to plant them? In the fall, the spring, or? Oh, definitely in the fall. We call them spring bulbs, and that confuses a lot of people. But they're always planted in the fall. You'll buy buy bulbs that look a little bit like onions, and Mm -hmm. you'll plant those. In in your climate, you'll plant those about four inches deep. That is, there's four inches of soil on top of them. Okay. Um, and the ideal time to plant spring bulbs is in between Halloween and Thanksgiving.
5: Is that right? Oh, that'd be perfect for me then.
0: Your okay. timing is absolutely perfect. And daffodils require less care. Um, than some of the other spring bulbs. They are very okay. hardy and easy to grow and they should naturalize for you. In, instead of you getting fewer flowers in the future, you should get more and more as the bulbs oh, split and great. separate.
5: That'd be great. Underground. There's actually nothing growing on the ground there around the gravesite. It's just covered with acorns and black walnuts, <laughs> so I wanted to pretty it up a little bit. and. Um, I had I, I made the decorative cedar fencing to go around it and even though I'm blind I do a lot of woodwork and um, so it, it it it's visually I'm told it looks good with the headstone and that cedar fencing around it. now I want some flowers growing and on it for her. and uh, that's a, that's a good that's a good idea I appreciate that thank you.
0: Yeah, and don't improve the soil. You don't have to do anything special to it. Is that right? Yeah, after you get the bulbs planted, you can spread uh, a little bit of compost or shredded leaf mulch Mm. on top. Okay. And daffodils are so easy care. Tulips often don't come back uh, after a couple of years, whereby daffodils Uh always increase in number, and and your Uh varmints won't pay any attention to them.
5: Okay well the I, the reason I uh, my initial idea was tulips was because um, the uh-huh. Hungarian see I had to go to the Hungarian school on Saturdays an English school Monday through Friday and the name of our school was Tulipano and that translates to tulip box cuz in Hungary the women always had their husbands build a box underneath the windowsill of their kitchen window and that's where they'd plant their tulips so the women could look at the tulips while they'd be cooking or washing dishes and whatever and so just for tradition's sake I was going to go with the tulips but the daffodil idea sounds much better. I really appreciate you sharing that with me and you have no clue how big a joy you are to listen to i still listen to that cd that lexus uh... sent me of our talk about the wild american strawberry bush and i get tickled every time i hear you say jeremiah got me stumped on this one (laughs) i (laughs) I enjoyed listening to that thank you very much for all that you do for all of us because you you're you're a big blessing to a whole lot of us as far as educating us on what to do and how to acquire a green thumb. Even if we have to dick, dip our thumb into leather dye <laughs> to make it green, we we learn. Thank well, you.
0: Thank you so much, Jeremiah. Okay, you you have a great season and I can't wait uh can't wait till your daffodils come up.
5: Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. God bless y'all.
0: Oh God bless you, sir. Bye. Bye bye. Well, it's time for me to take another little break and announce that I will appear at the beautiful Chautauqua Institute in upstate New York to give a talk about pollinators during the Institute's Comedy Week on Monday, July 29th. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back to perennialize your tomatoes and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural, organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from PBS39 in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week which teaches you how to save tomato seeds so that once you get that perfect variety, you can enjoy it year after year. But before that, a couple more of your enjoyable phone calls at 833-727-9588. Carol, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Carol. How are you?
3: I'm great. I'm in Glenmore, PA, in northern Chester County.
0: All right. What can we do for you?
3: Well, um, last... Summer. I ordered some daffodil and iris bulbs, and okay. they came uh, end of August, early September, in boxes from Holland. And Ooh. they sat in my garage for hmm, six weeks while I was waiting for good weather to plant them. And it <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. and it never showed up, did it? It
3: never. When the weather was nice, I was away, and when I was home, it was raining. So somewhere around the uh, middle of November, I said, "To heck with this." and i put the uh boxes still the bulbs still in the packaging in our downstairs basement refrigerator mm mm-hmm. and they have been there uh 5 dozen um mixed daffodil bulbs and five iris just five separate okay. iris pink iris my favorite color
0: so the iris uh, I, they're not as sensitized as uh to daylight and stuff and climate as the bulbs, so I would just plant those as soon as you can work the soil in okay. the spring. Okay. Now you say you got a, a fridge in the basement. I do. So this is a beer fridge, <laughs> right? Beer, it's the extra um,
3: cookies at Christmas time. The yeah. extra turkey. Yeah.
0: Do you have any? Um, do you have any containers around? Garden containers. I do. I and could. do you have any a potting soil?
3: probably frozen in the garage. well
0: <laughs> just drag it into the house let it okay. um, let it thaw out. Here's what I want you to do um, get nice containers or as many containers as you want because this is going to wind up being fun all
3: right
0: how long how many weeks or months have they been in the fridge? three months and they're dafts right? Yes okay so they're pretty much ready to rock and roll. Here's what I want you to do uh, get as many pots as you can. Um, Fill as many pots halfway with the potting soil as you can. Okay. And then see how many daffodil bulbs, which are huge. I mean, they're the biggest bulbs we plant. See how many you can jam in there. Okay. I mean, we're not talking about like four bulbs with inches apart. These should be like a Japanese subway car rush hour. Get as many (laughs) in each one as you can. Right. Um, Put them, uh, then cover the top with more potting soil. Okay. Uh, water them in a way that you can really saturate the container, but then let it dry on a dish rack or something. Got it. And then do that until you're either out of room or out of bulbs. Okay. Put them back in the fridge until, let's say, I'm going to say March 1st. Okay, about six weeks. And then take them outside and put them in a sunny spot or a spot where, everyone will see them and think that you were the horticultural genius of all time. (laughs) And if they were chilled properly, if you had done this in dirt to begin with, I guarantee it would work. Got it. But this is called forcing the bulbs. Mm -hmm. And you'll put them outside, and then the pots will all bloom, and you'll look like a genius. Yeah. And after the flowers fade, you'll clip off any seed head that starts at the top, Then you'll put the pots in an out-of-the-way place and feed them. Just feed the green leaves. Um, In a couple of months, the green leaves will turn tan and brown. Then you'll pull them off. And then it's up to you. You can then actually just sit those containers um, somewhere else and move them into the fridge in December. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to plant them in your garden, you can do that right after Thanksgiving this year. They Um, won't bloom without dirt, and they won't go directly from the fridge to the garden.
3: Darn it. That was my hope.
0: (laughs) But, I mean, no, you're going to have, like, a flower show display on your front walk or something.
3: It's going to be great. And I do this now.
0: Um, Yeah, I I want you to pot them up as soon as that soil is unfrozen. Saturate them once. Don't feed them. Put them back in the fridge. Bring them out March 1st. Got it. And put them right outside in the sun.
3: Thank you so much.
0: And send us pictures. I will. 833-727-9588. Kate, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
4: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: I'm glad Uh, to have you here, Kate. Okay. What can we do you for?
4: Get down to business here. I have... I guess a poison oak, poison sumac, you know, the kind that looks like a tree. okay. And it's, and I live in an apartment, and they're growing right close to you know the ground where the um, uh, the concrete is. And I mean, i I try and I try, but but I need to get rid of it. and right. I wonder how could I do that?
0: And it is it growing up a tree or is it growing up the side of your building?
4: The side of the building?
0: Okay. And it's coming out of a fairly obvious spot in the ground. What, what's growing around where it comes out of the ground?
4: Just grass and, you know, a few weeds here and there.
0: Okay. The easiest. And how the heck were you trying to pull this? These things get big and monstrous and dangerous.
4: Well, actually, my, my neighbor uh, tried to do it for me. And he did it. You know I mean? He cut them down. But I know they're going to come back.
0: Oh, okay. So it is cut down. Yeah, and but, did he,
4: but the roots are still intact.
0: Right. One thing I want to warn you and everybody else out there is poison ivy has that allergenic sap um, that can give you a rash even after it's been dead for years. Okay. So just because the plant is no longer alive doesn't mean it can't give you a very bad allergic reaction. That oil can last for years after the plant itself is dead. Okay. Uh, but that vine, because it's now deprived of nutrients, the vine is going to brown and wither and, you know, either be pulled away professionally a couple of years from now or, you know, just fall down. Now, the easiest thing to do, I would say, is simply smother the area where the vine came out of the ground. Get down there or have him get down there with— um we're being serious now with like a piece of sheet metal or something right. like that. And make sure you cover all the areas where the vine was coming out of the ground. Right. And then just shovel mulch over top of the sheet metal and make it look normal. And then right. keep an eye out. Because as my friend Umar, who was on our first show from the Lehigh Valley here, explained, the underground runners need to have a node Um Uh, a specialized part of the root system to send up a new plant through the earth. So you're going to cover that over with a big piece of sheet metal, put mulch on top of that, and then just keep your eye out around the edges of the metal. Uh, If a new vine comes up out of the ground, it's going to be very slender, very weak. It's going to be starved for light. And then all you do is get a couple of plastic bags, like from the Acme or the giant supermarket or something like that, put one on each hand, soak the ground where the sprout is coming out of the ground, um, with a bag over your hand, just pull gently down at the soil line until you get the root out, then wrap the other bag over that hand and throw the whole schmageggy in a trash can um, and just keep an eye on it for the first year. You can also use undiluted white vinegar just regular white vinegar and you can either spray the new vine when it comes up or just soak the soil around it either way the fact that the monster is dead any new sprouts will be easy to handle if you catch them early on
4: sounds like a plan baby
0: all right as promised it's time for the question of the week which we're calling saving your own tomato seed is easy kind of. Tyler in Satterton, PA writes, you aired a show a while back that was quote, live from Meadowbrook farm in Abington, PA. In your discussion with those in attendance, you talked about saving seed from tomatoes. I have three questions. Number one, you instructed us to let the tomato ripen beyond the verge of overripe. What's the basic science behind this recommendation? Well, it's the most basic science, Tyler. It's the science of reproduction. When you save seed from your own garden or from a purloined plant, not that I have ever considered such a thing, you want the seed to be as mature as possible. You can, for instance, pick a tomato at the peak of ripeness, enjoy the flavor immensely, decide to save the seeds, and then get poor to no germination because that tomato was not ripe enough to reproduce. Now think about the original tomato plants in nature that were growing at the base of mountains in Peru. With no humans to support them, the vines just, uh, uh, you know, they just vined. Sometimes a bird or an animal would eat one of the fruits, carry the seed to another area, and spread the range of the plant. But uneaten fruits would age to mushiness. Their seeds would fall to the ground, and many of those seeds would sprout and give birth to new plants. Now, this is a great topic for this time of year, because the time to start planning to save seed is before you put any plants in the ground. First, you have to know that you're starting with open pollinated varieties. Hybrid plants are great in many situations, but not for seed saving, as they are crosses between two very different parent plants, and their children are unpredictable. Seeds saved from open-pollinated tomato plants will always produce the same type of tomato plant and its fruit. So let's say you grow the perfect tomato, and you know that it's an open-pollinated variety, which is easy. Hybrid varieties are always marked as hybrids by law. Eat most of the tomatoes from that plant. Enjoy them, but resist the temptation to eat the most perfect tomato on this most perfect plant. Leave it on the vine long past ripeness until it's practically fallen apart. And bring it inside and dance the magic dance of tomato seed saving. Squeeze the juice and the seeds into a medium-sized jar and add water until it's three-quarter full. And let it sit out on the counter for three days, stirring frequently. It will get really grody-looking. Then pour this skunk junk into a strainer and rinse the heck out of it. When there's only seeds left in the strainer, let it air dry for a few days, constantly blotting the bottom of the strainer with paper towels. When the seeds are super dry, store them at room temperature in a sealed dry jar with some of those desiccating pouches you get with vitamins and running shoes. Nope. This fermenting process is only necessary for tomatoes. Other seeds just need to be dried. I'll explain the reasons in depth online at the Gardens Alive website, okay? Now, let's get back to Tyler. Number two, I saved some seeds shortly before hearing your advice. The tomato was picked a bit underripe, but I let it ripen fully indoors, and then I cut it open for eating, and I saved the seeds. Can I expect these seeds to sprout, or should I purchase new seed? By the way, the variety is the heirloom Nebraska Wedding Fruit. Good tomato, Tyler. All right, try a germination test. Place some of the seeds you saved inside damp paper towels. Put the towels into a Ziploc bag, but don't zip it. Make sure it stays moist. If the seeds inside sprout after a week or 10 days, you got lucky. If they don't, you need to buy new seed. Number three. I grow many plants in close proximity, 50 different tomato varieties last season. So I'm concerned about crossing genetics if I save seeds. Do you believe that I can really expect tomato seeds to be true year after year if I save them without taking any precautions, like bagging the flowers before they open? Well, Tyler, tomatoes do not cross-pollinate. Grow a hundred different varieties, follow the directions I just directed, and the seeds will come true. Again, except for hybrids, of course. The bagging flowers thing you mentioned is to create hybrid varieties. Once the flowers open, you, the cross-pollinator, dust pollen from one variety onto the flowers of a different variety. Then you bag it up to make sure no accidents happen. You make the right match and you got a great new hybrid tomato. If you bag any flowers before they open, your chances of getting anything are poor to nil. The garden crops that most readily cross-pollinate are pumpkins and squash. Remember kids, all pumpkins are squash, but not all squash are pumpkins. Now, some of the most common and useful of our native bees are the squash bees. They are incredibly promiscuous, moving from squash flower to squash flower without a care as to whether the flower belongs to a dipper gourd, a butternut squash, an acorn squash, or a pumpkin. This will not affect that year's crop. A butternut squash plant will still produce only butternut squashes, and a Connecticut field pumpkin will only produce that pumpkin. Ah! But save the seeds, and all bets are off. I once saved the seeds of a perfect pumpkin variety, planted them the next year, and by August, my garden was overrun with huge white gourds. Well, that sure was some great information about saving seeds now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the Question of the Week appears in print at the Garden's Alive website. To read it over in detail, just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still, and will forever be, Youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer, is threatening to banish my brandy wines. If I don't get out of this studio,
5: we must be out of time.
0: But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588. Or send us your poor, your tired, your wretched refuse teeming towards our email shore at YBYG at WLVT.org or just find all of this new contact information at our website, YouBetcherGarden.org where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions. You'll find audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows and our podcast. What do you want? Eggs in your beer? Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director, Amanda McGrath, maintains our Facebook page. Please check out her fine work. Tiara Tavia Minnick works the phones and orders lunch. Everybody likes Tavia. Our website, Wonder Anastasia Weckerly, is well liked, even though she does not order lunch. Our video editor, Jake Boyer, he likes those lunches. Our floor manager, the one, the only, John DeSantis, likes the lunches unless someone touches the food first. Our director, harassed and harried Javier Diaz, likes to leave visible fingerprints on the food. Our CEO, Tim Fallon, is a man among men, a magnificent manager, a strong leader, and has his own parking spot. Despite that, he is not our executive producer, He's also late for a meeting. I'm a day late and a dollar short, Mike McGrath, and I'll take the plates off my car when I steal Tim's spot and take half the lunches home so that I can see you again next week.
4: Ah, this is the ticket. Oh, it is, is it? Beautiful night. I got my best girl with me. Although, you know what could make it even better? Let me guess. Some mint chocolate chip. Bingo. You always get a little sappy when that sweet tooth kicks in. Partners since the beginning. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org.